Hey, welcome to another edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. You know what, Mike? I, here's the first thing I want to talk about. Sure. As the Brooklyn Nets defeated the Boston Celtics on Thursday night, there was a point in this game in the first half in which Boston had built an 11-point lead. Right. And they also had, I think it was about a six or a seven-point lead early in the second half of this game, maybe 10 minutes to go third quarter. The game against the Pistons on Saturday night, the Nets were down by a point in the final three minutes of the game. Here's the key question, because you and I are very similar. We're diehard Net fans from the days of New Jersey. We expect doom. We expect <laughs> bad things to happen. Were you confident on both nights? Like, listen, we got this. How, how are you feeling in both situations, Thursday and Saturday? The Boston game, I felt okay. It was early, and I thought that they would rally and get it together. The Detroit game, I was nervous. I mean, when they went down by a point, what was it, like three-ish minutes? Maybe it was even less. It was very tight at the end, down a point. I think because they lost to the Pistons in Detroit that sparked this good winning streak, I think because I saw that game where they lost a few weeks ago, it got in my head that maybe Detroit's just a bad matchup. And the, the Piston game, I was like, they're going to bleep and lose this going into the Knicks game on Monday. I can't believe this. You know, I I don't know if you're going to believe me or not, but I had this quiet confidence. Like, even in the Detroit game, down a point with three minutes to go, I just I looked over at James Harden, who, let's face it, hasn't shot the basketball well from three in the two games back from the break. I think he's a one for 17 combined, and he had a ton of turnovers in the Boston game. Not picking on him. I mean, he did pick up a triple-double, so mm. I'm not ripping him. I'm just kind of giving you an observation. I glanced over at him and said, that guy's not letting us lose. Mm. And that's kind of the feeling I have towards James Harden and Kyrie Irving. We saw what he did against his former team on Thursday. So even though it was frustrating, you know, when Jeremy Grant's played like this all-star caliber player and Sadiq Bay is the guy that we drafted and could have been ours. I don't know, man. I, as much as I maybe had thought going into the game, we were going to destroy the Pistons by 30 to, to kind of put an exclamation point on the revenge of what really started this run. I actually had a confidence that I have not had since probably the Jason Kidd era that, listen, they're going to figure this thing out. They're going to win this basketball game. And I had it on both accounts, even in the Detroit game when there was only three minutes to go and they had, you know, really led throughout and then fell behind by one. Well, that's a part of the game that really annoyed me was the fact that they had, they had blossom the lead to like six to 10 points and they got it to that point a lot of times. And then I was just waiting for that eight to 10 spurt to just end it. And it never came. And it just, then it just went the other way where Detroit made a run and went up one. So I was playing out the scenario in my head. The Nets had their opportunities to build, build the lead. Couldn't do it. Detroit's hung around. They've defeated the Nets earlier in the season. James Harden's off. This is going to be the loss. Here it comes. And the exact opposite happened. Harden reeled off points. He got into the paint. The Nets played defense, got stops, and then were able to, and then hit their free throws as well, which Harden was brilliant at. And the Nets were able to get the W. And one of the calls Harden got was a gift. But you know what? He's a superstar and he got a superstar call. And James Harden is good at kind of selling it strong to get to the free throw line. I think the difference between the way they, didn't play inspired against Detroit on Saturday as compared to the game that started the streak is that they came out of the gate against the Pistons back in February and they put themselves in such a hole that they were unable to get out of it. Like the feeling I got for Saturday was like you said, they led throughout. They just couldn't kind of stomp on them and put them away and make it a laugher the way they have with a lot of games during this stretch. I mean, there's been a big chunk of games the Orlando game, the Sacramento game, even the Laker game where they just crushed their opponent, where there's just no drama in the second half of this game. I almost think they lost focus in doing so. Uh, and also I don't want to pick on anybody because this team's won 12 out of 13. So it's tough to kind of nitpick here, but Deandre Jordan can't play a big load of minutes. <laughs> And I'm not saying he should be benched. He should be caught. Look, if Andre Drummond's on this team, I may have a different view on that. I mean, why would DeAndre Jordan play more than five minutes if Andre Drummond was on this team? But it almost looks like he get he gets gassed when he plays more than 25 minutes. 
and he can't get out on defense on the perimeter. Nicholas Claxton in a lot of ways, and he's getting kind of that sweet spot right now of 16 to 18 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how those minutes are affected once Blake Griffin plays, once Kevin Durant is back. Timothy Luabo Cabarro, got to include him in the mix because he hasn't played. But DeAndre Jordan, no matter who's on this roster and who's healthy, cannot play, in my opinion, more than 20 minutes a night. Because I think he gets exposed when he plays more than 20 minutes a night. I believe it was the Celtic game. And I think it was it was Jalen. Yes, it was the Celtic game. It was Jalen Brown. And they were coming down the court. And DeAndre was left there on defense. And he did not guard him. He just stayed back and was basically like, go for it. Take a shot. And I got so frustrated at that play. If Jalen Brown's going to beat you off the dribble, so be it. If he gets by, he gets to the basket. Foul him. Just don't give up an easy basket. It was basically like, here's shooting practice. Go for it. And I think James Harden then called him out. And he was like, DeAndre, you got to go out and play defense. His lack of hustle at times is so frustrating. It's We've seen moments where he does play hard. And obviously, he has a good lob connection from James Harden. But he's just using the athleticism he has left right. to go up for these dunks. But him on defense, out in the perimeter, it's like you're just screaming, go out to the yeah. three-point line, and you're yeah. watching it happen. And you're right. Nick Claxton, he's been a surprise on his defense, the perimeter defense. He, he's he been pretty good with the long arms. He had the one steal where he went he went down the, down the court and had the and one, and then the one where he got away with the offensive foul. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> he's been... He's been a pleasant surprise in that his scoring's kind of dipped in the last couple of games. If teams have figured out how to stop that James Harden lob, but but still the the defense, the switching. I mean, you 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 get excited when you see well, Nick Claxton is coming in the game. He's a more versatile defender than DeAndre Jordan is. Jordan's a weapon on offense. I mean, him and James Harden obviously have a great connection. We've seen that on the lob. I did love, and I and I don't think I'm alone. I think most Net fans would tell you if you watch every game, like you're kind of like us, obsessed. You watch every second of every game that the best part of the win against the Pistons was yep. after the game when James Harden was lecturing DeAndre Jordan about some kind of miscommunication that happened in the final minute of the game. So let, let's take a snapshot of that. James Harden was lecturing DeAndre Jordan about some kind of miscommunication on defense. And I think you could see it in James Harden's eyes. Here's the bottom line. James Harden is on a mission right now. He knows. Yep. He is on an absolute mission to win an NBA championship. That is, that's it. That's why it's not about field goal attempts. It's not about winning the MVP award. It's not about stats. The triple doubles are nice. Obviously he is on that, that mission. He's on a mission to win. And that's kind of the part of James Harden where every day you can't help, but love him more, you know, even with, the way he has shot the basketball in the two games back out of the break. I mentioned, I think he was 0 for 8 against Boston, 1 for 9 against Detroit. From 3, I'm talking. But even despite his struggles from 3, he's so good in so many other aspects and makes this team so much better. Even when he turned the ball over a bunch of times in the Boston game, I think he had 7 turnovers in the Celtic game. He just He's got that look of a guy that's on a mission right now. It's amazing because we all, all we heard about was – his lack of effort, not caring. And he didn't when he was at the end of Houston. I mean, he was trying to force his way out. So he was not caring. He did not uh, put in the effort to be a player that Houston deserved. And he wanted to get moved and he got his wish, but you're right. Him here has been remarkable. He's calling out DeAndre Jordan. He did that. I talked about the other play. He, he did the same thing when it was the Celtic game. He is playing defense. He's rebounding. He's attempting to play defense. He has been a perfect net. And his ability to make guys better around him has been unbelievable. The transformation, he's made Bruce Brown so much better. I know. He opened three-point shots for Tyler Johnson. Landry Shamit starting to get into a solid rhythm. On He's playing much better. And it's all stemming from his ability to get people involved he, and his playmaking ability. It's, it's, it's been remarkable. And then, and then I just keep thinking in my head, well, Durant, 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 when he comes back, what is this going to look like with him? And it's, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. James Harden has been a, he's, he's been an A plus well, man. He's been great. You know, it's crazy when they moved on from Jason Kidd and made that trade with Dallas, it feels like we've been searching for the next Jason Kidd. You know, so initially it was Devin Harris. You know, Devin Harris is our guy. 
And then it was Darren Williams. They make this big time trade for an elite level point guard. We know how that went. And then it's Kyrie Irving. He's come home joining Kevin Durant. And the truth is the guy who resembles Jason Kidd the most is James Harden. And I, and I never thought I'd say that, but mm. he is Jason Kidd with obviously much more offensive skill. I mean, I'm not comparing their offensive games, their ability to fill up, fill up this, uh, you know, to, to drop yes. 40 in a game. It's his ability to make guys around him better. And yes. that's the aspect of James Harden. That's, I mean, this is the ultimate compliment you can give a guy if you're a net fan. He reminds me of Jason Kidd, except with an offensive game that's on steroids. That's basically yeah, it, who he is. I mean, he doesn't have the defensive game that Jay Kidd had when he was in his prime and his ability to guard people and understanding of court awareness, uh, getting in the passing lanes with steals, et cetera. But you're right. It's, it's the most kid-like I have seen from anybody. And I am just like you, shocked to say that out loud. If you told me that before the deal happened, I'd be like, James Harden, it's like, Jason Kidd, what are you talking about? That's impossible. But the way he gets lobs to people reminds me of what he did for Kenyon and RJ. Yeah. Getting three-point shots for for Carey, Lucius, Van Horn. It's this, or, you know, that was kid at that time, but now getting open shots for Joe Harris, who's feasting and is, is open all the time. It's uh, it's cool when you can see somebody that's so good that they make the other people around you better. That's the ultimate compliment. And I've had so much fun in watching him play. It's been it's been awesome. It's why. And I don't want to talk about this too much because then it means that we're talking it into existence and I don't want to have to talk this into existence. But this team can compete for a title without Kevin Durant and that may sound crazy off the tongue, and it's not something I ever want to find out about because hopefully KD is healthy and he's back and we get to see the three monsters play together. But Harden and Irving have gelled so freaking well over this stretch. I mean, when they play together, they've won 10 straight games. Remember, that loss in the midst of all of this against Dallas was on a Kyrie Irving maintenance day. When these two guys have played, even without Kevin Durant, mm -hmm. they've won 10 straight games. They mm -hmm. look like a team that's capable of competing for a freaking NBA championship without Kevin Durant, who, when healthy, is a top three player in the league. I mean, it's it's freaking insane to say. And we have to give some love to Kyrie because I loved what he did against the Celtics. And it shows you the killer instinct this guy has. And he's made the comment he lives for the fourth quarter. He saw the Boston Celtic green even though he's got a great relationship with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, he loves all his former teammates. He saw that logo. He saw that Jersey and he came out for blood and he dropped 40 against his former mm. team. And I know we all hate the Knicks as Nets fans, but come on, the Boston Celtics are a very close second. And the fact that, I, I mean, I could go on and on the trade where they are, where we are, they hate Kyrie Irving. They badmouth him at every second. And the difference between the Boston Celtics being a good team and being a great team is them not having Kyrie Irving. Yeah, if you add Kyrie to the Celtics, put him in that mix with Tatum and Brown, I mean, you've got a good, you got a trio there that could compete in the Eastern Conference. But clearly, there's a drop off with Kemba Walker, and we've seen his inconsistency with Boston has been a prime issue. Although Boston was playing well going into that game on a four game winning streak because Kemba was playing better, big difference. But Kyrie came out there and he was phenomenal. His mid range game and his ability to get into the paint and just get that eight to 10 foot shot and make distance from defenders that are taller than him is remarkable. I know when he had that Instagram live with Kevin Durant and everybody was making fun of him when he was saying, I wanted to have post-up plays and Durant's like, you can't do that. You could see Kyrie if he got into a matchup in the post because he's so skilled with the way with his body movement, he could make those moves and give himself some space. Now he was, you know, tongue in cheek a little bit with that, but his skill set allows him to be that good. And this season has been so many different levels of Kyrie Irving of him playing well, him disappearing now him back. And he has been perfect when he plays. Great. When, when he, he plays, plays he yeah. def he's def that's why I was like the lazy thing is, oh, he doesn't play defense. He is hustling. I'm not telling you he's the best defender and people are going after him and trying to take advantage of mismatches, but he is competing and he is trying on the defensive end. It's been fun to watch 
he's been great on that aspect. And it's just like the roller coaster ride of the season feels like a long distant memory. Now, when we were talking about when will Kyrie come back, it's when will Kevin Durant come back? Yeah. You know, it, this happened on the show the other day on Carton and Roberts CeeLo, who does updates with us on Monday and Friday. And I don't think he was trying to be a dick, but he said to me, Hey, so Blake Griffin's listed as out for Saturday's game. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? And he was almost surprised that I wasn't frustrated about it, saying, come on, the guy said he isn't hurt. The guy said he's healthy. Aren't you anxious for Blake Griffin to play? And I got to tell you, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm okay with them signing him. And the more I think about it, he'll probably be a much more productive player than what we saw over the last year. That being on a bad team, he has had the knee issues in the past. He's going to be rejuvenated with the Brooklyn Nets. And I, and I expect him to be a contributing piece of this roster. But this team is so good right now. They are winning every freaking night. There is no opponent that I, I, I'm scared of. There's just no opponent that I look at and say, ah, they, they need to be fully healthy to beat this team. And I look at Blake Griffin, to a lesser degree, Durant. It's different with Durant. And I almost don't care when he plays. I mean, obviously, sooner is better only because of the experience and to kind of see what kind of rotation Steve Nash is going to have, who's going to lose minutes out of it. But I have, I don't wake up thinking, oh, I can't wait to see the Nets injury report to see when Blake Griffin's going to play. He's almost an afterthought to me right now. How about yeah. you? No, Blake, definitely. I mean, the, the Durant one, you wake up and it says Durant's playing. That's a different level. Then you yeah. get the juices flowing. But with Blake, I, you know, I was disappointed is a strong word. It's more like, oh, darn, that would have been cool. I would love to have seen it. I want to see him play. He's here. I think this is something that's kind of fun to say out loud, but in the season that's a regular season for the Nets where they're more about figuring out the rotations when they can get Durant and they're getting to a point now where they're winning all these games and the, and the question is going to be one, two, or three seed. You know, I don't want to say the regular – I, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's not boring, but it would be fun to see Blake Griffin play because it's something new to add to the regular season as we wait to get to the ultimate challenge that is the NBA playoffs for this team. So I would have liked to have seen it, but by no means do I do I look at it and go, oh, crap, we don't have Blake today. Yeah. I've been waiting. We got the signing. Now I'm with you on that one. Like, I, 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 I want to see it because why not? It's fun. But they, they're winning regardless, so who cares? Look, priority is health. Priority is not overworking guys in a regular season. I am into the seeding battle. Like, I, I keep an eye on Philadelphia every night and Milwaukee. And by the way, they're playing each other this week, so they'll mm. gain ground on somebody when the Bucks play the Sixers. But what I have noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this right now, if you look at overall NBA records, because that's how home court would be determined in an NBA Finals, the only Western Conference teams that would have home court against Brooklyn would be the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. All right? Both of those teams are ahead of the Nets record-wise. The Brooklyn Nets have passed the L.A. Lakers. They have passed the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think we'd admit that as good as Utah's been and as great of a story as Phoenix is and the Chris Paul acquisition and building off what they did in the bubble last year, if the Nets are going to be in the NBA Finals, we are likely staring at the L.A. Lakers or the L.A. Clippers. That is the likeliest scenario. And right now, if you're paying attention to seating and you can bet your ass I am, the Nets are ahead of the Lakers and Clippers. Mm. That's what happens when you don't lose games. I mean, you know, they're 14 <laughs> and 12, and all of a sudden, you know, here you are 26 and 13 going into the Knicks game Monday night with a chance to be 27 and 13 which would be a remarkable record, which would be, you know, on pace for 54 and 26, trying to just put together, you know, that's, that's, that's closing in on like what a 60 win kind of season would be there. I mean, they're putting together that kind of streak where they'd be a high, if it was an 82 game season, where it'd be in the high. Right, 50. Right. So I'm not, you know, not surprised when you're winning all these games that you're leapfrogging all these teams. You know, what's crazy. And, have yeah. you, have you looked at overall the schedule moving forward? Because Dude, they, they have a tough trip where they they have like a, it's only a three game road trip, but they have to go to Portland and Utah and it's a back to back. So that look big time challenge against teams like that. Dude, outside of that, you look at this schedule. They should win every freaking night. And I'm not saying that because, well, they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. We got we certainly believe that maybe the best team in the NBA. But the Knicks, Indiana, Orlando, Washington, Detroit, Minnesota, Houston. 
that's a part of and then Chicago, the Knicks, the Pelicans before the showdown against the Lakers. I mean, look, there'll be some letdowns. They almost let down completely against the Pistons. But you look at the schedule, bro. They should win every night. Yeah, no, they're going to be favored. They're not. I mean, it's going to happen when they're going to lose games. And there's it's just a natural letdown. And when you're back to back, you're human beings. They're going to lose games. This is not the Warriors of 73 and nine. So I understand what you're saying. They shouldn't lose these games. And also, you got to remember, there's going to be points where Harden's going to sit. Kyrie's going to sit. I would guarantee you there will be maintenance days for these guys. So losses will add up there. But it is the first time I would say ever with the Nets even including those two back-to-back final years where they're just going to be the favorite in every single game they play. I mean, unless, unless again, you know, Kyrie's out, Harden's out, they will not be, they will be the favorite in every, every one of these games. I mean, I guess on the road versus, I mean, the Lakers, they played on the road already. I, I'm just, I, I can't envision them as an underdog if they have all They'll their guys be- there. Yeah, I think that the next game or the only game where you would say confidently they should be underdogs would be in Utah against the Jazz. It's the back end of a back-to-back, plus it's in Utah against the Jazz. So I guess that would be a game. You know, I find that really interesting because I think that's a national televised game. I'm not positive about it. I think it is. But I wonder how they treat these back-to-backs in an environment like that. You know, that's a showdown taking on the Utah Jazz. I wonder if... Kyrie Irving, I, I won't even think about Kevin Durant because God knows when he's going to play. And Harden seems to play on most of these back-to-backs. He only has had one maintenance day so far. Mm-hmm. Kyrie is more of a maintenance day guy, which I get. I mean, when he had that back injury or it looked like he re-injured his back in the game against the Pistons on Saturday, Oof. you know, <laughs> we all get nervous. So I fully understand it. But I, I guess I'm curious, would they sit him against Portland and play him against Utah? Would they play him in both, but maybe sit him around that? I'm not sure. It'll be he's not playing both. I'll tell you that right now. No shot. No shot. He plays both. He'll sit one of them. I think it's Utah. Really? You think yeah, it's the I, Utah game? I, I think, think they, that's. I don't I think, think they care. I don't think they need to. I don't think as an organization or a team, they need to prove that they can beat the Utah Jazz in Utah and whatever this game is. I don't, it doesn't matter to them. No, so, you're right. It doesn't matter. You're right. You're right. And they obviously don't care about national TV because Kyrie sit against the Mavericks on an ABC Saturday night game. That's right. So you're right about that. Now, I'll get to a, a bunch of tweets because I did tweet out at Evan Roberts, WFN, ask a bunch of Nets questions. And we got a ton and they're all types of variety net questions. So we'll get to as many as we can. But you are, and I understand why, very nervous about this game against the New York Knicks Monday night in Brooklyn. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I do a, I do a podcast with a Nick fan. So p- partially we're going to record after are after the Nets Knicks. So this thought of just having to sit there for an hour after a Nick win and talk to a Nick fan about it does sound a little bit depressing, but on a larger scale, and I actually have been talking to my wife about this little, a little bit, I got to not get as invested in care if they do lose to the Knicks in a regular season game in the middle of the season. Uh, it, It shouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, but it's just it's just all the hype on Twitter and people getting it in your face and this whole conversation of there's not real net fans. This is a this is a phone. This is, it's a phony fan base. It's bandwagon fans that are here. And it's just all of the nonsense and the noise, I think, then creates this atmosphere where it's not even like win or lose. It's not even that that huge of a deal. This is not a playoff game but it's just more of the annoyance of everything around it. But I have to learn not to care because the Nets are going to lose games and it's not that big of a deal ultimately. So I'm trying to like, you're like my, um, like sitting on the couch talking to <laughs> Dr. Roberts. Well, I, here's what I'll admit to you. I'll admit this to you. It would be a very difficult pain in the ass, 24 hours to right. lose to the New York Knicks. Okay. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge it from your perspective of having to do a podcast with a Nick fan from my perspective, having to do a radio show with a Nick fan and the fact that Nick fans outnumber us and they hate the Brooklyn Nets. So if they get a little bit of blood by beating us in Brooklyn, as we are playing our best basketball, even if we're without Kevin Durant, we are going to hear it. And I understand why. I mean, as Yankee fans used to tell me as a Met fan after the subway series, this is your world series. That's what they would say. Even after we beat them. So when Matt Franco hit that line drive base hit with two outs, down a run, bottom of the ninth inning on that Saturday in 1999 against the Yankees, 
I left Shea Stadium with the Yankee fans saying, congrats, this is your World Series. And we would say the same thing to Nick fans. Congrats, this is your NBA Finals. But, and I may live to regret this. And oh, if wow. I do, <laughs> kill me next week. We're not losing to them. I know, I know. I'm going to... I'm. Gonna... Well, you... <laughs> You watch the Knicks a lot more than I do. Um, you know, you, you, you know, for work on the radio, it's you're you're keen in on every single second, which obviously I get. And you're, I love basketball too, and I'll watch the Knicks, but I, but you've seen them more. Like, Quickly's playing well. R.J. Barrett's had 32. His his high. Randall's an All Star. Like it just seems to me they've they've kind of got some weapons now. And it's, oh no and no no, I'm not. I don't want you to take or anyone listening to take me saying we're not losing to them as any kind of slide on the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks have had a great first half of the year. And if I'm a Knicks fan, I'd be happy. This is just like 2019 that we experienced, right? It's a confidence in us. It's not a knock on them. It's what I said to you to open this podcast. We were playing the Boston Celtics and we were down 11 in the first half. Normally, even in the first half, an NBA game, I panic. I don't have it tonight. Hard just turning the ball over. They're going to lose. And I never did. And the Celtics are a very talented team. I think we'd all agree the Celtics are a better team than the New York Knicks are. It has nothing to do with the Knicks. And I get the risk reward is brutal if the Nets lose on Monday night. If they would have lost against the Pistons, it would have sucked. We would have been frustrated. No one was rubbing it into us, you know? Mm. So I get the negativity of losing this game. I'm just... I'm being consistent, man. I have a confidence. Now, they'll lose a game here and there. Now, hopefully that game they lose here and there isn't Monday night against the Knicks. I mean, that would be the disaster. But I don't know. I I think these guys understand that the Knicks are a popular team in this town. And so Kyrie Irving is going to be motivated. Mm. I think James Harden is going to learn he needs to be motivated. And I don't expect them to sleepwalk this game. I think they would be motivated. So I think the games they'll lose will be games where they do sleepwalk and can't overcome it. I just don't expect with fans in the stands, and there will be some Nick fans there at Barclays Center. I expect that. I think they'll be motivated, and that's where my confidence lies. That was what I was actually going to ask you that, and I was curious to get your thoughts on that, but you you answered it there. If they recognize that this game means more to the fan base and means more than playing the Pistons, playing the Cavs, playing pick your team, the Pacers, that you you know this is the team that's eight miles away or whatever it is, and yeah, there's going to be a couple thousand fans there, but there's a history of Nick fans invading Nets arenas. Right. That I, I I think Kyrie gets it, and that makes sense. Just being you know the New Jersey Net fan that he was growing up, but I I just. I hope they come out there with an urgency. They realize they want to stomp on them early. And it's not one of those things where this thing gets the, the, the Knicks get confidence and things get moving. It's funny too. Cause the last time the Nets played the Knicks is when they made the, the James Harden deal. And in that game, there was no Harden and Kyrie, but you had Durant. Now they're seeing the Knicks for the second time and there's no Durant, but you get Kyrie and Harden in the, in, into the lineup. I think you hit on it though, with Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving gets it. And there have been times in post-game interviews he's brought up things about the history of the Nets that he's aware of. James Harden isn't. You know, James Harden has no idea where he stands on the triple-double list in Net history. Mm. But Kyrie Irving knew when they beat the Spurs in San Antonio. He knew what that streak was like. And so he gets it. You know, as much as we may get on him or not trust him or worry about him, Kyrie Irving understands the New Jersey Nets. And maybe the hope is before you do play the New York Knicks on a Monday night, Kyrie Irving's informing some of his teammates, Landry Shaman, who's played great recently, by the mm-hmm. way. Hey guys, this matters. You know, don't be fooled by the fact the Knicks are a game above 500. This game matters. So we'll see. I mean, I have a confidence and look, if, if the Nets lose a game to the Knicks, they have two more games with them. It'll suck for 24 hours. It'll maybe even suck for 48 hours. At the end of the day, it, it really doesn't mean anything. Now, I mean, that's the truth. I'm not just saying that yeah. to talk us off a ledge. It's the reality. It just doesn't mean that much, you know? And, and the irony is then the Knicks are playing the 76ers, and you got to be like, well, go New York. Get the victory. It helped the Nets out in the standings, right? <laughs> right. So then you, you flip the switch, and you'll actually be rooting for the Knicks. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I can go that far. <laughs> I got to be honest. I, I, I'm with you, too. Screw it. Be the two seed.
<laughs> exactly. All right, let's answer some tweets. I uh, tweeted out at Evan Roberts, WFN here from some net fans. So we've got a ton. I'll try to go through a few of them real quick. Um, we'll go with Lewis Police. Louis 3020 says, as much as we all love Karis Levert and wish him well health-wise, do you secretly feel threatened by the possibility of him getting the Pacers into the playoffs and playing them in the first round? Are you scared of Karis Levert, Mike, in a best-of-seven series? I'm not. Threatened, no, but that scenario did cross my uh, cross my mind as I watched Karis last night. I was staying up late, and I wanted to see him play a little bit. It did cross my mind looking at the standings, where things are a definite possibility that the Nets end up seeing Karis Levert. So yes, that crossed my mind. And yeah, I could see him having some big moments, but I, I, I would still feel as if the Nets would win the series and I wouldn't feel threatened, but I think it would be full circle if they ended up playing them in the first round. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we all love Karis. I'm so glad he's back from a health perspective. Um, look, I, I could see him having a big series. I could see him performing at a high level, but no, I mean, I'm not threatened by the Indiana Pacers overall, even though the Pacers in the past have given them struggles because of the length that they have. Uh, I prefer not to see Karis LeVert, but I wouldn't feel threatened by them. It would be the way I'd look at it. Uh, FK3920 says, here are some candidates for the final two roster spots. Obviously, the Nets have room to add two guys to their roster. Are any of these guys of interest to you? All right, are you ready? Yeah, let's hear it. Andre Drummond, obviously. Yes. All right, let's just start off. Of course, yes. of course. Yes. Uh, Trevor Ariza, J.J. Redick, Javal McGee, Hassan Whiteside. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think at this point they need size. I mean, J.J. Redick getting another shooter, I guess would be great to have someone that could, another guy that can shoot, but it's not a need. I like uh, Whiteside scares me a little bit because some of his past, I would with I would I would like JaVel McGee. I would feel confident with McGee. He's been in big spots. He would know his role. And I would feel like he even though maybe he's the not out of all the four players you named, he's maybe the the not quite as good as the other ones, but I feel like McGee would be the guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the usage for a rim protector and a big to play 15, 20 minutes a night would be nice. So the easy answer would be. A guy like Javal McGee, I agree with you about Hassan Whiteside. He he kind of scares me. But my answer is actually Trevor Ariza. I think Trevor Ariza would be great for this team. He's a hell of a defender. He's got championship experience. You know, he's got fresh legs because he hasn't done much recently. Though I guess the ramp-up period may take a while. But I think Ariza would be a hell of an addition. I, I think what you got to wonder about with any addition outside of Andre Drummond is where are the minutes coming from Right, team is healthy? You know, Jeff Green's got to play. Uh, I think both of us would love to see Nicholas Claxton continue to play. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's going to play. Bruce Brown, who's basically played center at times. His minutes have gone down the last few games. He needs to play. Timothy Luabo Cabarro doesn't need to play, but he's going to be healthy. And Steve Nash continues to love him, or at least it seems like he loves him. So I just wonder with any addition outside of Drummond, where are those minutes coming from? Yeah, and you didn't even mention Blake, who hasn't played yet. I know it's a little bit yeah, of a different Blake position, but, but Blake gonna but Blake gonna play too. Like it comes to a point where there are only so many minutes, but I guess the luxury would be okay, we feel like this is the matchup tonight, or all right, TLC's not hitting a shot. Okay, it looks like Blake can't guard that defender. Let's go with this guy. And we have options, but there's gonna be times where people are gonna disappear. Like right now, we're in the TLC disappearing era. Yeah, I know he's hurt. It's like TLC is going to be gone. There was the Tyler Johnson disappeared. And there's just different guys coming in and out because of this newfound depth that the Brooklyn Nets have. This is a good question. Ray Maldonado asks, down to hmm. game seven, NBA finals in LA. Three seconds on the clock. Nets ball. Who do you want taking that last shot? Joe Harris. No, I'm going to say... <laughs> Although I would feel fine with Joe taking it if he, you know, someone was doubled and he was open. I like Durant there. Give me, give me KD. Although it would be fitting if this was the year James Harden put together an epic playoff performance where he was hitting big shots, wasn't having putrid, putrid nights. But give me KD. I envision him when they defeated the Cavaliers and he had some of those dagger shots when I was rooting for the Cavs. And I just saw Durant play in that series and I go, 
they just can't do this. He's just too good. Give me Durant with the final shot. Boy. You know, so based on history, it's obviously Kyrie or KD. I mean, Kyrie Irving did hit one of the most important shots, arguably, in the history of the NBA over the last 20 years in Game 7 against Golden State. I'm going to give you the best answer, even though some may consider it a cop-out, but it's the real answer. The hot hand. The hot hand. (laughs) I mean, you've got three effing superstars. Two of these guys have won titles. Yeah, James Harden has to kind of eliminate the playoff demons he has. We saw Kyrie Irving against the Celtics on Thursday. If he's playing like that, the answer is Kyrie Irving. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. So I don't think there needs to be an answer. You know, back uh, with the first good Brooklyn Net team, the Darren Williams, Joe Johnson team, Obviously, the answer was Joe Johnson, and it became predictable late in the game. He mm-hmm. doubles by the end because everybody knew Joe Johnson was going to attempt the game-winning shot. It doesn't have to be that way. So, yeah, if we're judging the history of this league, looking at these three guys' resume, I'd rank it Durant 1, Irving 2, James Harden 3. But honestly, well, how are those guys played in Game 7? Let's kind of look at their box score. Who's hot in the fourth quarter? Who's wide open? That's your answer, too. How about everybody's ice cold? This has been a game that's won by the bench. Landry Shamit's come on. Joe's hidden shots. Uh, Blake off the bench is putting in a vintage performance. He, he dunked. Everything's looking good. But these guys are all one for 10 from the field. Nobody's playing well. Well, then the, answer, the, fu- yeah. then the answer is Joe Harris, like you said. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Cop out. Fine. You get it. Fan of NY626 is thinking like me right now. Jason Kidd or James Harden? Who do you start a franchise with if you had a choice? <laughs> In this era or that era? Yeah. Ugh. Look, I mean, I mean, James Harden is a, is an incredible... The thing about James Harden where he deserves credit, and I think we'll get it, is he's shown you he can adapt based on the team he's on and play a different brand of basketball based on the team he's on. So James Harden is probably going to go down in NBA history as more of an all-time great than Jason Kidd is. But for me and you and everyone listening, he's got to get that ring on his finger. Because I think that if this team doesn't win a title, our view of this era will be, yeah, it was amazing to watch, but what a effing disappointment that they Mm -hmm. couldn't win a championship. As disappointed as we are that the Kidd era didn't win, Look, they lost to better teams. Let's just be honest about it. They lost to a dynasty in L.A., and they lost to a sort of dynasty in San Antonio, even though they didn't do it back-to-back. I think that our view on Jason Kidd and James Harden will be determined by if James Harden could put a ring on it. Yeah, and the Jason Kidd first NBA Finals team, the year before the Nets won 26 games, they make the deal Marbury for Kidd. So when they got to the Finals and they faced the Lakers – I remember I was a senior in high school and I was, I wanted them to win the games, but it didn't feel like they were ever even had a remote chance. It was, I'm just excited to be here the next season going into it with the expectations from the year before. Okay. This is a championship caliber team playing the Spurs series was close. We don't need to rehash what happened, but they had an opportunity to win the title. So I look at this, this is Harden being placed here. This is unlike kid in that first year. Hey, right. he turned the franchise around. This is you're here to win a championship. It has to get done. If you are going to, uh, you know, cement your legacy as an all timer, especially an all nets timer. If you could go in first year, get the deal done. I mean, Oh my goodness gracious. I'm just starting to think about all these different playoff series and rounds and how much anxiety is coming in the month of May and June. Well, will we have anxiety if they could just go full, 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 you know, just run oh. the table and <laughs> it won't happen. There'll be anxiety. No, I know. When they get to like second round matchup versus Mil- Milwaukee versus Miami. It's going to be tough series. Well, you know, what's going to happen. Like, let's say they're matched up with, because assuming they get a one or a two, they're going to be matched up with somebody that's coming off uh, a victory in the playing tournament, right? You're, you're, you're yes. facing somebody yes. that's going to yes, feel yes, good yes. about themselves. So let's just hypothetically say it's the Atlanta Hawks. I could totally see Trey Young, Cam Reddish, John Collins having massive game ones and us losing game one and just panicking and freaking out. And remember, the Toronto Raptors in their championship season lost game 
one right. of their first series. All right. That's right. They did. Just, I'm just getting you ready for that possibility. And uh, Atlanta plays the Nets well. I mean, oh, I know John Collins looks like an all NBA team player. It's like John Collins versus the Nets, 25 and 16. Crazy. Every time. We got a bunch of Dinwiddie questions, so I'll try to read all of them, and then we could kind of talk about Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, Dan Mortensen says, what do you see the Nets doing with Dinwiddie? If they trade him, what do you see them getting in return? Rich Like Hell says, I think the Nets potentially get more value out of Dinwiddie in a sign-and-trade than injured at the trade deadline. I think they hold on to him for that reason. What do you think? And then Smoochie Darko says, does Spencer Dinwiddie have a place on this team going forward or is him being traded imminent? So I don't know if I agree with the sign and trade aspect of things. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big hypothetical and it also doesn't benefit you now in a year in which you're trying to win an NBA championship. So I don't know if I completely agree with that, that they would be better off just holding on to him We've talked about this before. To me, it comes down to does Spencer want to stay and are the Nets willing to pay that kind of luxury tax to keep him? If either of those answers are no, then they have to trade him before the trade deadline. What's available for Spencer Dinwiddie? What, what would even be, we, I mean, you don't hear anything. What would even be a viable option? Because if that's the case, Evan, where they, they know they're not keeping him and he's not coming back, they're not going to get a great value in return because the other team knows they have the leverage where they're like, okay, we're going to sign them. This team kind of has no choice. I can't even, I don't, I'd like to hear what they could get for him. All right. I'll throw, I'll throw, I'll throw hypotheticals at you. Yeah. I'll start off with one that totally makes sense, but will never happen. Okay. Okay. And that's the New York Knicks because Take a step back. Take a step back from how you feel about the Knicks, how I feel about the Knicks, and how Knicks fans probably feel about all of us. Spencer Dinwiddie is a perfect player for them moving forward. They need a point guard. Badly. They were ready to throw big money at Fred Van Fleet, which I didn't think was a bad decision. The idea of trading for Spencer Dinwiddie, if you're the Knicks, if you're the Bulls, if you're the Pistons, is not for now. Obviously, the guy's injured and is a free agent. It's to get his bird rights. It's to have that ability to re-sign him. The Knicks are also flush with cap space. So I don't think it'll happen, not from a net perspective. I don't think the Nets care. I really don't. I think they're past that. They're trying to win an NBA title. If they could get value back, I don't think it matters. I just wonder about the Knicks, their perspective on this. But, you know, hypothetically, you tell me, and you could ask Alex, who you do a podcast with, I don't know how he feels about Spencer Dinwiddie, but I, I think deep in his soul, he'd admit Dinwiddie's a good fit for the Knicks. Right. Would they be willing and would you be willing to take back a piece that helps this roster now, whether it's Nerlens Noel or it's Frank Nilakina? I'll throw one of those two guys at you because I think those are the two guys to me that would fit this roster best. Nerlens Noel is a fine defensive player. He's a five. He gives you that rim protection. I've always kind of had a crush on Frank as a perimeter defender. I don't think he's going to play big minutes for this team, but he just needs to go out and defend. That's it. And then the other thing is to get back the Dallas first round pick. They're not doing that. Why? The Dallas pick for Spencer. First of all, Dallas is going to make the playoffs. All right. I don't think that's going to be a lottery pick anymore. And if, if you want to look at Dallas's future pick, they're sending to the Knicks in two years. That's also lottery protected. I'm just saying a player that's clearly not as good as Spencer Dinwiddie and a first round pick. If you re-sign him, if you're the Knicks, look, you got Spencer Dinwiddie moving forward. That's a net. They don't, I, they shouldn't care about trading Nerlens Noel or Frank Nilakina. That's no. not a problem, but yeah, first round pick. And if you're the Nets, it gives you more flexibility moving forward to maybe use that pick to get a young piece or next year as they're trying to win a championship again, they now have that to potentially move. I think people get so excited about first round draft picks and Dallas's picks not going to be great. And it, and who knows if they're going to make the playoffs, they could be in that seven to 10 range and maybe they fall out of it and miss it. And it does fall in the lottery. I think there's such an excitement when you can draft somebody that's going to be 19, 20, 21 years old or whatever, 18 years old, 
whatever the age age thing's going to be moving forward. I think people get so jitterbuggy about making those moves to deal that kind of pick and would not want to give it up because of the potential that is the pick and the excitement that that is the pick that could become, you know, Spencer's a good player. He's a guy that could, the Knicks could clearly use, but, but that pick could become something that's really special. And that fear of giving that up would, would, lend me to believe they would never make that trade. Yeah. But, 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 but to get what I want Noel for, for Spencer. Sure. I couldn't handle him though. I wouldn't do the deal. I couldn't handle him as a Nick for the next four years playing great. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there's Obi Toppin. He's got the lob partner. He needed. It's like Jerry well, Allen 2.0. It would bother me. Okay. I, look, you're being honest about it. Um, I don't think it's crazy and, and forget the Knicks then. And I'll, I'll use every other team. I don't think it's crazy to think, about taking back a first-round pick and a deal for Spencer Dinwiddie because for two reasons, well, three reasons. Number one, if they're not going to keep him, as we pointed out, yes. they have to trade him. You have yes. to get back assets for him. First-round picks are valuable, not necessarily to use, which they could. Sean Marks has done a great job of finding players late in the first round or in the mid part of the first round. Look at Jared Allen. Look at Karis LeVert. And obviously, we're all really excited about Nicholas Claxton. Look where they mm-hmm. drafted him. It was basically in the second round. I think it was it technically in the second round. I it think was it the was. second. I think it was the second. I think it was the Knicks pick technically. That I think you're got, right. But they got it from. They didn't get it from the Knicks. They got no, it from no, somewhere no. else. It was moved around. So you can, if you can get back a first round pick. Obviously, that's not helping you in this immediate moment, but it's helping you in a few potential yes. ways. Either you use it to get a young piece. Or you use it in a trade. The Nets are in a position where they can't trade first-round picks because of the James Harden trade. If you acquire a first-round pick, you can. So I I think we're delusional to think, and I know I brought it up to you a few weeks ago, hey, they can get John Collins back. Look, that's not going to happen. You know, am I doing it for Thaddeus Young? Am I doing it for Mason Plumley? guys of that ilk? Probably not. I'd be more enamored by a first-round pick because – you and I and most people listening, we're not bandwagon guys who are going to give up on the Nets in three years. We're fans forever, and first-round picks help you kind of lead into that transition, which which led to another question somebody asked, okay. which was <laughs> – I got to find it because it made me laugh. Um, hold on. It's very good. It's about the Nets' future because we never talk about the Nets' future. No, we only talk – oh, here it is. Chalib says, how do you envision the Nets to, the Nets to look like when KD and Harden leave and Kyrie transitions into the team leader who brings in young stars and the guy's a Nets fan, like it's not some Nick fan trolling us. Right. How do you feel about that? By the way, I don't know how to answer that. So Zion Williamson decides to join up <laughs> with the Nets and Kyrie at the, you know, is now playing 40 games a year. I, I, I I'll, I'll put it this way. I don't if if one's gone, I think all three are gone. I can't I can't envision at this point now. Maybe one year there's an overlap or something, but once D- Durant leaves, they're not they're both of them are not staying. This is this is a group deal, well, right? That, that I can't I can't envision. I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe they win titles and Kyrie just, you know, goes off into the sunset, but at this point it's like they're together or they're not together. Not to make this like a mercenary conversation. Yeah, I I kind of have an odd confidence that when their contracts run up, both Durant and Irving and Harden all have opt-outs at the end of next year, I'm not thinking they're all going to leave. I'm really not. I think this organization is smart. I think Sean Marks has made it clear he wants these guys for the rest of their career, and I think he's recruiting them to stay now. Like, I don't Hmm. think it's one of those, I got them on the roster, I'm not even thinking about two years from now. So it's not something I fret. You know, if they all turn down extensions during the offseason, maybe it'll kind of be a seed more in my brain that I'd be worried about it. But they all seem to be very happy here, whether they win a championship or not. If they're happy and feel like this is the place where they can win championships, then I don't know. I kind of have a confidence that they're all just not going to leave. Where are they going if they leave anyway? Well, that was what I was going to bring up. I agree with that. What what better options are there if they leave? You're already teamed up with two other superstars. Every year you're together, you have a chance to win a championship. Unless something catastrophic happens where they all despise each other, 
why would they ever want to leave and go to a different team where it's going to be even more difficult to try to go win a championship every year that the three of them are together, they have an opportunity to win a title and the role players will fit and fall behind them. I don't envision them leaving also, unless something happens in the next couple of years that we don't foresee that obviously is a disaster. But at this right. point, it's like, what, what's the better alternative? Yeah. I'm not worried about it. So, are you confident that the Nets are going to beat the Knicks? Where are you now as we close this podcast? So I um, I play these games in my head, and I'm a big believer in karma, Evan. So I don't like to trash talk because I, I just think it's not – I think it's just bad, bad karma. So there's been a lot of different things that have happened to me during the day as I was doing Uber Eats as the delivery driver where it was like good and bad karma thoughts in my head and different little things like that. So at this point, and I, and I don't, now I'm even saying like this answer could dictate the future. Uh, at this point, I'm just going with, we're going to overtime, but I don't know who's winning. <laughs> well, hopefully it's a nice, easy, low <laughs> odd victory. Uh, good job, Mike, as always. You can check out Basekli's other podcasts. What, you mentioned you do one with a Nick fan. Why don't you give it its proper promotion so that you can have more Net fans listen to that podcast? Uh, I appreciate that, Evan. Yeah, it's Bad Weather Fans with uh, myself and Alex Benesowitz. And he's a Knicks fan. I'm a Nets fan. And we bring the perspective of a Net and Nick get together and talk about these two teams, talk about the games, talk about the NBA and uh, – you know, as a Nick fan, Alex is a good dude, though. We have a lot. We have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, why not? Let's get some more net fans listening. And you can feel my anger when Alex will say something stupid about the Knicks or Nets. And we can all enjoy in that glory as one unit. As there net you fans. go. And you can follow Mike at Mike Delivers Pod. Obviously, I'm at Evan Roberts WFAN. I will be doing a very special driving home from Barkley Center edition mm. Of this Brooklyn basketball podcast, my wife will be with me. We're going to the game Monday night, <laughs> Nets, Knicks. She will throw in some lines. She'll give kind of her perspective. Nice. Probably more from the idea of what it's like to be back at Barclays Center. For her, yeah. it's going to be the first time in over a year. So far, I'll, I'll tell you this. The process has been good. You have to have a COVID test. And when you buy Nets tickets, in the price is a free COVID test. It's crazy. And they mail it to you. So they mail you a COVID test. Wow. You've got to put the swab up your nose. Not too yep. far. It's not that bad. You put the swab in a box and then you mail it. And it's all paid for by the Brooklyn Nets. I did it Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon, they take the box. Yep. A few hours ago, we're taping this on Sunday night, by the way. Sunday afternoon, I get the news. I tested negative for COVID. And now I have it on my phone. Wow. So I guess when I go in a Barclays Center, I show them my health pass. Crazy. That I didn't test positive for COVID, and that's how they let you in. So I, I wasn't sure how it was going to go because this is my first time going as a fan with, with all of this. So far, the process has been good. But I will certainly give a further update during the Drive Home Podcast Instant Reaction on Monday is this night. Let me just ask you this real quick. Is this something they'll be doing for the remainder of the season in the playoffs? Is this how it will work? Or I, is it just, I guess maybe they don't know at this point, like yeah. everything else in the world. So right now this is New York state law. So okay. this is what the governor announced when they had the return to sports. Gotcha. Uh, if you're asking me for my prediction. I'll give you two predictions. Number one, he won't resign. He'll have to be removed. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Was that not what you were asking? <laughs> no, I think eventually oh, they gosh. will. I think eventually they're not going to require tests. I think it's very mm. difficult. Um, look at baseball as an example, and I'll just say this real quick. A lot of people decide to go to a baseball game at the last second because of the weather. Yes, yes. Are yes. you really going to tell fans on a Sunday morning, yeah, you can't buy tickets now. You didn't do your COVID test because these tests aren't instant. Now, maybe they start incorporating instant tests. I don't know. So my prediction would be by the time the baseball season starts, I think the laws are going to change or the rules are going to change. And I don't think they're going to require a COVID test upon entering these stadiums and arenas, but I could be wrong. Well, enjoy the, uh, the game Monday night. And I will be listening to you and your wife with the recap. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn basketball podcast.